Trick or Treat by Jack Rayner. There was a knock on the door of the TARDIS. This was unexpected, more than unexpected, practically unprecedented, because the TARDIS was currently in flight. The doctor, frowning, operated the scanner. He didn't expect it to show anything, and it didn't, because there was nothing to show. The TARDIS was in a time vortex, and nothing, well, as near to nothing as made no difference, existed there. He'd obviously imagined it. The knock came again. All right, so it was real. Nevertheless, it was impossible, or at the very least insanely dangerous, to open the TARDIS doors while in flight. Even if some incredible thing was out there, he couldn't do anything about it. Another knock. Harder. A more a series of thumps, an angry tattoo. The doctor glanced again at the scanner. He prided himself on reacting calmly to any situation, but couldn't prevent a slight start of alarm. A crowd of faces stared at him from the screen. The stuff of nightmares, monstrous, fanged, warped, each one more grotesque than the last. The knocking became even louder, and then, with a crash, the doors were forced inwards. It shouldn't, couldn't have happened. He braced himself behind the console, waiting to defend himself against whatever diabolic creatures had breached his sanctuary. His first observation when they forced their way in was that the demonic halls were considerably shorter than he was expecting. There were four of them. Two came up to about his shoulder, with the other two shorter than that. They dragged a cart on which a fifth figure reclined. The monstrous faces he'd seen on the scanner screen were no more than masks, which were now removed to show four young faces. All four boys stuck out a hand. Trick or treat, they demanded. The doctor boggled. Rarely at a loss for words, he just stared at them. After a few moments of incredulity, the best he could manage was an indignant, No! Come on, mister, said one. You've got to give us a treat or we'll play a trick on you. I am not giving anyone a treat. The doctor's outrage was rising. Who are you, anyway? One of the boys shrugged. We're trick-or-treaters, ain't we? Aren't we? The doctor corrected automatically. So what's that? He pointed at the figure on the trolley. A mishmash of old clothes and stuffing and saw with a grimacing mask on top. Penny for the guy, said another of the boys, the shortest, who had straight dark hair. The boys' differing hairstyles and colors 
were the easiest way to distinguish them from each other at first glance. Two were dark and two were fair, with a curly-haired and a straight-haired boy for each shade. Penny for the guy has nothing to do with trick-or-treating, the doctor told them, hardly able to believe that he was having this discussion under these circumstances. One's a Halloween custom, and the other's for Guy Fawkes' night. Told ya, said the fair boy with curly hair to the shortest boy, who stuck out his tongue in reply. All right. The shortest boy continued, so I got that wrong. But it doesn't change what we're here for. And in unison, all four chanted again, Trick or treat! You've broken into my TARDIS in the middle of the time vortex, and have the audacity to ask me for a treat? No, no treat! Not even a jelly baby? asked the boy with curly dark hair. Not even a jelly baby. Nothing. The boy with fair straight hair shook his head in disappointment. I'm sorry. We hoped you'd cooperate. But if not, well, we've got no alternative. He turned to the other three. I'm afraid it's going to have to be trick. Before the doctor quite knew what was happening, each of his arms had been grabbed by two boys, and he was being dragged towards the still-open TARDIS doors. Let go! Going out there will kill me! I don't know why it didn't kill you. It didn't kill us because it likes us, said the shortest boy. Let's hope it likes you, too. They were outside of the TARDIS now although the doors remained open, a tantalizing glimpse of sanctuary. The boy's movements made no sense. A bouncing, soaring walk with nothing underfoot, both defying gravity and bound by it at the same time. This has got to be a dream, the doctor said. The fair boy with curly hair pinched him. It hurt. Not dreaming, the boy said. Sorry, I'm afraid this is real. He paused, looking down at the doctor's arm. Oh, dear. Looks like it doesn't like you after all. The doctor followed the boy's gaze. Where the boy had pinched him, the cloth of his multicolored suit was crumpling away. The rot of a thousand years condensed into a few seconds, and below it, below the cloth, the flesh of his arms was melting. He put his hand to his face and felt nothing. Then he saw with horror that his fingers were dissolving in front of his did he even still have eyes? He was surrounded by nothingness, and didn't know if he could still see, and nothing was all there was. Or, oh, if this is what it was like when there was nothing left of you. Not the blindness that came of closing your eyelids, but an emptiness, 
that was both internal and external. It seemed like he was both floating and spinning, even though it felt like there was nothing left of him to spin. Then, as he spun, his bones reformed, began to be clothed in flesh again. Was it over? Was he reborn? No. As soon as the renewal was complete, his substance once more melted away. Five times this happened. Five times he became nothing, then was recreated. Until finally the terrible sequence ended, and he was real and solid again. The boys and TARDIS reappeared. Why had they been there all along? Have you changed your mind yet? asked the short boy, suddenly right in front of the doctor. Are you going to give us a treat? Or do you want another trick? You mean you'll stop all this if I hand over a few gobstoppers? Not quite said one of the taller boys. We want a bit more than that. What? Like my TARDIS? Or my life? The boy with the dark curly hair stamped his foot. Ah, you're an imbecile. We'll have to play another trick. And suddenly the doctor was back inside the TARDIS, alone except for the sorry-looking guy which was still lying in its wooden crate and rope cart. "'I don't suppose you want to tell me what's going on?' he asked it. But its mask just stared back mockingly. The doctor sighed. He had no illusions about the ordeal being over. It was just a question of waiting to see what was going to happen to him next. Everything went dark, and a shout rang out. Catch us if you can! The doctor didn't hesitate for a second. If they hoped to find him off guard, they would fail. He launched himself toward the voice with his arms outstretched and found himself holding something cold and smooth. He felt it. A hat stand? There certainly hadn't been a hat stand there earlier. A giggle from the other side of the room. He changed course, dived towards it. Again he grabbed. And this time found himself embracing the cold, hard bones of a skeleton. He leapt backwards and heard it clatter to the floor. The nightmarish game continued. The doctor pursued the laughing, mocking boys here, there, and everywhere, occasionally catching one, but more often finding himself grasping some strange object, many of which he couldn't identify and didn't particularly want to. Finally, he had managed to catch all four of the boys, and to his relief the world became light again. All right, he said. I've played your ridiculous game. Perhaps you would care to tell me exactly what you're doing here. We've told you, said one. 
We're here for trick or treat. You've seen some of our tricks. Now, are you ready to give us our treat? I don't think I'm likely to want to give you whatever it is you're after, said the doctor. He needs more convincing, said the boy with straight blonde hair. Hold on. At least tell me exactly what it is you... The doctor began. But something strange was happening. Something was welling up inside his throat, up into his mouth. And as he tried to speak, it fell from his mouth. With horror, he saw that it was a toad. Once more he attempted to speak, but another lump was forming in his throat. There's a fairy tale, said the tall boy with curly dark hair. The good daughter is generous to a fairy, and as a reward, whenever she speaks, diamonds and flowers fall from her mouth. But the bad daughter doesn't give the fairy what she asks for, and instead of jewels, she produces toads and snakes. At the moment, you're the bad doctor. Why not try being the good doctor instead? Why don't you... At least tell me what it is you want. The doctor forced out through a cluster of toads. The shortest boy turned on him, and for a moment the doctor was convinced he saw absolute despair in his eyes. Oh, why can't you see? It's because we can't. The other three hurriedly shushed him. Be careful. The doctor heard one of them hiss. If we don't play by the rules, we're done for. But that glimpse of despair had turned things upside down for the doctor. Suddenly these children were no longer villains out to taunt and torture him. They were victims, perhaps. So what did they want from him? What so many people had wanted from him across the centuries. Help. But in what way? They couldn't speak freely, it seemed. But perhaps there were clues. The fairy tale toads from his mouth. Could it be that they weren't just a punishment for not giving them what they wanted, but a clue to the nature of what they wanted? Something to do with words that needed to be spoken? And the five times he disappeared. A representation of five deaths? No. Five deaths and five rebirths. In effect, five regenerations. He had regenerated five times. It was something to do with that with his six lives. And the strange game of blind man's buff. Maybe he had to find something hidden, something unexpected, something out of place. 
like a guy at Halloween. Ask me the question, he demanded of the boys. Ask me now. They all held out their hands and in unison called, Trick or treat? Treat, said the doctor. I think I know what you want from me. You want me to ask you the right questions. So my treat is this. Who are you? Then he pointed at the guy. And who is he? The four boys broke out in relieved grins. Well, we're you, of course, said the tall boy with curly dark hair, the one who'd asked about jelly babies. And so is he. The shortest boy pulled the mask off the guy. There lay a dummy of an elderly man with long white hair. Now my last question. Why Halloween? Because it's still Halloween, silly, said the boy with straight blonde hair munching on a stick of celery. It's been Halloween forever. It was the only way we could get to you. Let you know, by becoming part of the Halloween party ourselves, yourselves. It's been you who's been trying to let you know this all along. You're still at the Halloween party. But at the same time, you're not, put in the shortest boy. And the boy with the curly blonde hair rolled his eyes and told him to stop confusing things. We've landed said the boy with the curly blonde hair, and the doctor realized that he was right. He operated the scanner. It was dark outside, but nearby he could see a single flashing blue light, a very familiar light. As he made out the shape of another police box in the darkness, it faded into nothing. The other TARDIS had left. Was that... he began, but when he turned round, he found he was alone again. No boys, no guy. The doctor never admitted to anyone, least of all himself, that he was even the slightest bit nervous of anything. He certainly wasn't about to tell anyone that he didn't want to leave the safety of his ship. And to prove how much he wasn't worried about it, he took a deep breath, opened the door, and strode right out. A path of jack-o'-lanterns led the way to an old mansion. The doctor followed the trail without the least hesitation. He didn't knock on the mansion doors, despite the prominent lion-head door-knocker. He pushed them straight open and burst across the threshold. Inside, a gypsy violinist was playing while a group of children in fancy dress danced around. It jogged some far-distant memory in the doctor's mind, as did the figure dressed in a mandarin costume who came forward to greet him, the celestial toy-maker. Doctor! What an unexpected pleasure! The doctor looked at him. Unexpected? 
Oh, yes, and quite a paradox. In what way? The toy maker chuckled. You mean you haven't worked it out? I assumed you must have done. Why and how else are you here? Come with me. He led the doctor through a door on the far side of the hall. A giant blue box stood in the room. A replica TARDIS, much bigger on the outside than the real one. But instead of having double doors, its entire front swung open on hinges. Inside, it was divided into rooms, floor to ceiling. And the doctor realized what it resembled. No, what it was. A doll's house. A TARDIS doll's house. And it was filled from top to bottom with dolls. A girl doll with dark nylon hair sat at a tea table, permanently pouring non-existent tea from a plastic teapot. While next to her, a boy doll proffered a plate of painted wooden cakes. Rag dolls, plastic dolls, even dolls carved from clothes pegs, all could be found inside the house. Some were sitting on chairs, some lying on beds, some just in piles on the floor. There was another girl doll in red and white striped dungarees, and a pink and white plastic boy doll in a kilt. A knitted penguin was perched on a sofa, and a poseable doll was sticking out nylon hair, and dressed in scraps of fake leather, menaced it with a plastic knife. Some of the figures seemed almost familiar. A TARDIS toy, said the doctor, deliberately dismissively. Well, it's very nice, but I prefer the real thing. The toy maker burst out laughing. <laughs> the real thing. Doctor, you haven't been in the real thing for hundreds of years. The doctor was disconcerted, but refused to show it. Nice try, toy maker, but I've just come from the TARDIS. Oh, you think you have, of course you do. That's the whole point, Doctor. Don't you realize? You thought you had beaten me at the Halloween party. But the truth is, you lost. You failed to choose between Dodo and Stephen, and thus forfeited the game. Since then, you've been my puppet. I've amused myself by playing games with you. "'sending you off into space, pitching monsters against you. <laughs> "'It's been great fun!' "'The girl doll with the teapot, the boy with the cakes. "'Dodo,' said the doctor. "'Their long-gone images conjured up in his mind. "'And Stephen. "'They were with me. "'Of course, when you lost.' So did they, the toy maker said. At first I kept you together, 
But Stephen was a bright boy. He started to figure it out. So I had to take him away to a game of his own. But that turned out to be a good thing. Because it gave me the idea that I could replace your friends with other dolls. Those who'd once been the people who fought hardest. Those who nearly won their own games. I was going to keep Dodo. She never struck me as being particularly insightful. But I misjudged her and had to get rid of her rather quickly. Never mind. It's been a joy to see you paired off with some of my very favourite dolls over the years. And what of me? asked the doctor. That's where your story falls apart, Toymaker. I've regenerated five times since I met you here. This is just a story, a trick. No trick. You forget. I am the toy maker, the maker of toys. He flung back the lid of a large wooden chest. Do you not think I can also repair toys when they are broken? Replace an arm, a leg, a head? At what point is it not the same doll? At no point. The doctor looked into the chest. A jumble of doll parts lay inside, a head still with a floppy hat on top of its curly woolen hair, a plastic foot sticking out the bottom of a single torn cream-striped trouser leg, a sewn white hand with a large blue-stoned ring on a cotton finger. My rag-box, Doctor, the remaining scraps of old puppets, would you like to see my current puppet, though? He led the doctor through another door. A large three-sided box stood inside, a replica of the TARDIS control room, with photographic rondels on its three walls and a plastic console in the middle. Inside, leaning against the console to keep it upright, was a rag doll with curly blonde hair, and a patchwork coat. A string was attached to each arm, each leg, the head, all fixed to a wooden crosspiece. Did you think it was all real, Doctor? Truly? I'm the first to admit I got it wrong sometimes. The reality filters cut out every now and then. But you will never seem to notice the plastic Daleks, or the bendy dinosaurs, or that quite ridiculous giant plush rat. Did it never cross your mind to wonder why that time tunnel you fell into recently was actually, literally, decorated with Christmas tinsel? A total failure on my part. I tried to distract you by bringing the Daleks out again. But now I'm beginning to wonder if I need have tried so hard. You were obviously completely oblivious to the whole thing. Waves of doubt. Could this all be true? 
could everything that had happened to him, every person he had met, every monster he'd fought, have sprung from the mind of the toy-maker? You're saying all my adventures were made up by you? Well, it's hardly plausible that so many things would happen to one person, even a time and space traveller. I mean, look how many times you run into the Daleks. The trouble is, they're my favourites. Perhaps because they're one of the few monsters I didn't make up myself. If ever I find myself getting bored, I just set up another Dalek battle. Totally implausible that you'd keep meeting like that. But again, it clearly never bothered you. But if I'm your toy being controlled by you, if I'm that very doll there, how can I be here, too? You're bluffing. It makes no sense. The toy-maker smiled, obviously enjoying the note of uncertainty that the doctor hadn't been able to stop from creeping into his voice. I expect it's hard to get your head around. Yes, he said, folding his arms. But the answer is simply that you're not here. You only think you are. Just like in all of your adventures since you became my toy, you've managed to create a degree of self-awareness, of autonomy for yourself. But all I have to do is play with my puppet, and you'll be mine again. Why don't you do it, then? demanded the doctor, also folding his arms in a gesture of defiance. Ooh, I will, eventually. The doctor walked over to the console room set and looked down at the marionette. Was that all he was? All this incarnation of himself had ever been? No. Even if it were true, he had been the doctor once, and he was the doctor now. His thoughts were his own, his decisions were his own, his actions were his own even if the situations he was placed in were the creation of someone else. Well, hadn't they always been? A soft voice came from behind. I'll propose a game. The doctor spun round. Well, of course you do. You're the toy-maker. Games are your meat and drink. Is there a prize? Naturally, if you win, my power over you will be broken. Not that I will live to enjoy it. Your world and everyone in it perishes when you're beaten, I know. And if I lose, I remain your puppet for all eternity, I suppose. The toy-maker inclined his head. As you say, games with you are a no-win situation, 
as my friends from Earth would put it. I suppose I have no choice but to accept. But on one condition. I get to choose the game. Very well. A light had come into the toy maker's eyes. This was what he lived for. The doctor knew. Oh, the toy maker wouldn't entertain the idea of losing. But to toy with his victims, to make them think they had a chance, that was everything to him. The first time they had met, the doctor had both beaten the toy maker and survived his wrath. Perhaps the only person ever to do so in the eternity that this strange man outside time had existed. He'd made a bad enemy then. No wonder the toy maker had lured him to his Halloween party all those centuries. Or was it all those minutes ago? His motive had been revenge. There's a very simple game I came across on Earth. It's called Two Truths, One Lie. I give you three statements. Two are true, one is a lie. You have to say which is the lie. If you get it right, you win. Should be easy, really. For someone who's been in charge of almost everything I've ever done... Oh, you're going to try to trick me, said the toy maker. How delightful. You suggest it will be easy, which means you've come up with something you think is impossible for me to know. Now go ahead, doctor, play your game. These are my statements, said the doctor. Statement 1. I am a toy of the toy maker. Statement 2. I am not a puppet controlled by the toy maker, so he must let me go free. Statement 3. This is an elaborate trap designed to put me under the toy maker's control. Which one of those is false? The toy maker gaped as the doctor smiled. It was the smile that many of his opponents had seen, the smile of someone who has successfully set a trap. It was a smile that had been on the toy maker's own face a thousand times, but that he had rarely seen on others' faces. You were wrong said the doctor. I didn't want to play this game because I'd come up with something it was impossible for you to know. I'd come up with something you knew only too well. None of this is real. I did win the game back then. Dodo, Stephen, and I did escape from you. And one of the reasons I know that for a fact is that I saw their TARDIS leave as I arrived, which wouldn't have happened if you'd kept them here as toys, and which you couldn't have fabricated and put in my head 
if I had temporarily obtained autonomy, as you claimed. Your world was destroyed. All of this, he swept a hand around, indicating the entire mansion, the trappings of Halloween, as being rebuilt by you. He went back to the previous room and stood in front of the toy TARDIS, staring at the companion dolls. So much trouble taken. He had no doubt that the toy maker had found a way to watch him over the years, waiting to find a good time to spring his trap, a time when the doctor had no friends traveling with him a time when he could be psychically manipulated without anyone there to pull him back to reality. As the toy-maker joined him, he continued, Oh, the trick-or-treat boys were an excellent touch, making me think I was trying to give myself a message, making me think I'd found a clever way to break through. You fooled me for a while although not for as long as you thought. This whole charade was to build up to another game. I was supposed to think a loss would merely lead to an extension of the status quo, and therefore I really had nothing to lose. Whereas, in reality, the loss would turn me into one of your playthings for the first time. So tell me, what is your answer? Which of my statements is false? But the toy maker couldn't answer. To give the correct answer would have been an admission of truth and would have handed victory to the doctor. To give an incorrect answer would have been to lose the game. Remember that thing I was talking about called a no-win situation, said the doctor. I think this might just be one. But for you this time, not for me. Goodbye. He looked again at the dolls, wishing for a moment that they were capable of becoming real people that he could see again all the friends he had lost. But no, dwelling on the past was what had brought the toy-maker to this situation. The doctor had to look on to the future. So, leaving the toy-maker trapped, forever unable to end the game without losing it, the doctor returned to his TARDIS.